In one trendy Denver neighborhood, right next to a golf course, we find an old home almost hidden in plain sight. Unkept bushes cover the windows. Overgrown trees consume the front porch. He's been missing for more than a year. Inside, a 69-year-old man. He wouldn't look you in the eye. An urban hermit who permanently shut himself off from society. Basically disappeared. So removed from life and people, nobody knew he vanished. We do know police found a body. A year after his family searched his home. Well, there's no way he was there when we searched after him. unsanitary conditions hindered their investigation. A year after he was declared missing. We'll be out with the health department. The mystery of Chuck came to a bizarre end. No more after the coroner's report. Who's to blame? How does a man become... He was found in his own home. home. Lost at home. All right, so we finally got the autopsy report from the Office of the Medical Examiner. I have not opened it up yet. Chuck was found February 22nd. It's been almost two months. Today's date is April 11th, uh, so it's almost nearly two months since he was found. So let's see what this autopsy re report says. Opening mail attachment. All right, here we go. City and County of Denver Office of the Medical Examiner Autopsy Report. Date and time of death, February 22nd, 2018, at 1200 hours, age 69. Date and time of autopsy was two days later, February 24th, 2018. Welcome to Lost at Home. In this episode, I'm at my desk doing something you may find a bit macabre and dark. Beyond the confusing medical terms and hard to pronounce words, we can see so much about life through death in autopsy reports. Sometimes it can be hard to find humanity in the stoic tones of the medical examiner's writing, but hopefully as I read this, we'll get a picture of how Chuck died and how he lived. Here you go, the findings. Presence of advanced stage of decomposition, nearly complete skeletization of the remains, most bones identified, evidence of insect activity, and anthropophagy identified. I don't know what that means. I'm assuming that's probably when bugs eat at a corpse. Scene investigation reveals the decedent lying among debris in his residence with severe hoarding conditions. Clinical history of generalized degenerative changes of the cervical spine, urinary tract infection per medical records dated March 2016. Possible remote left humeral fracture. Huh, a bone fracture? Toxicology. Not performed. A sample of postmortem liver tissue obtained at autopsy is submitted for postmortem toxicology analysis. However, it is deemed not acceptable for analysis by the laboratory and no testing is performed. Opinion. After a complete medical legal death investigation, including scene attendance by medical examiner personnel, a review of medical records available for the decedent, and a full autopsy examination of the remains of Charles Ferry, a 69-year-old male, the cause of death ultimately cannot be determined. An advanced stage of decomposition is noted and limited medical records are available. Although investigative and autopsy findings are insufficient to explain the decedent's proximate cause of death, it is my opinion that he likely succumbed to a natural disease process as there is nothing to suggest injury or foul play at this time. Should further information become available after the signing of this report, 
this report and opinion may be amended. The manner of death remains undetermined. I'm going to reflect on this real quick. So it seems Chuck's remains were so deteriorated, so decomposed, it clearly sounds like it was impossible to figure out exactly how he died. TV shows and crime dramas, they like to make it seem medical examiners can nail down the exact time and day of death. We're definitely not getting that here. But there's a little bit of history about Chuck that is starting to surface. All right, here's a long paragraph. This is the review of circumstances of death. The decedent is found in his unsecured residence after he has not been seen or contacted for at least two years. Investigation describes that a missing persons report is filed by family for the decedent on February 14th, 2017. Several individuals searched the residence multiple times. Public health officials then deem the residence a health hazard and the residence is quarantined and secured in the fall of 2017. Officials then returned to the residence to conduct another search for the decedent on February 22nd, 2018 and his remains are discovered in the home. Scene investigation by medical examiner personnel reveals extreme hoarding conditions. The decedent is found lying on and underneath a pile of clutter and trash debris in the living room. Some debris removal is required before his remains can be safely removed. Death is pronounced at scene. Chuck was found underneath a pile of clutter. So maybe, maybe that's where he's been this whole time, buried underneath all of that stuff. Yet, Jeff, his son, told us they looked and didn't see anything. Something else sticks out about the autopsy report here, which can sound a little confusing. It cites an accident Chuck got into months before he was last seen. What you're about to hear me read is a description of a hospital visit. Medical re record review reveals that the decedent is evaluated in an emergency department in March 2016 after he is struck by a vehicle while riding a bicycle. That's new. He is noted to have superficial soft tissue injuries of the head and no further acute injuries of the head, neck, or torso on imaging studies performed. Of note, a lymphadenopathy of the cervical and supraclavicular regions is described, and he is treated for a urinary tract infection at this time. At that time, any further medical history or substance use remains unknown. So after doing some Googling of those medical terms, let me explain it simply here. When Chuck went to the hospital, they noticed his lymph nodes were swollen, which could mean something was going on with his immune system. Maybe he had some sort of illness or infection from living among all that garbage. I'm almost done reading through this autopsy report, and just a little warning here. It gets a bit gruesome. The body is received in a sealed body bag. The body is received clad in torn clothing of brown pants, an apparent green shirt, and two black socks. Abundant debris and trash is received with the body. Wow. The remains are those of a normally developed adult male, which appear consistent with the recorded age of 69 years. The remains are approximately 68 inches in length and weigh 39 pounds. Only weigh 39 pounds. I'm five foot eight, and I currently weigh 165 pounds. That I think it's, it's safe to say we can assume it was seriously deteriorated. A small amount of skin on the head, right back flank, and proximal extremities demonstrates a tr dried tan and leathery texture with defects that exhibit scalloping and small grooves at the edge. 
dried black, brown black fly pupae, beetles, and the parent rodent feces are present. Oh my goodness. There is a small tuft of scalp hair, a small amount of facial hair on the lower right cheek jawline. The eyes are absent, consistent with postmortem changes and cannot be further described. Much of the tissue of the scalp and face are not identified. The ears, nose, lips, and oral mucosa cannot be described. Oh my gosh. Evidence of anthropophagy gnaw marks on their, are on the expo. Anthropo, and I'm probably saying this wrong, anthropophagy is the custom and practice of eating human flesh. It may refer to cannibalism. So it's clear that uh, animals in the house, including insects, were uh, eating at his remains. Wow. Okay, well, there's our report. Let me see how this uh, is pronounced. Anthropophagy. Well, I totally pronounced that way wrong. Anthropophagy. Anthropophagy. I want to talk about this autopsy real quick though. I, I spoke to Jeff, his son, earlier about an hour and a half ago and he got a copy of the autopsy report. He said it really didn't say much, but for me this really describes, this, this autopsy report says much. It says a lot about the condition of his body and how he lived. Uh, we, I mean, we knew he was a hoarder, but the fact that the autopsy point out that his remains came with trash and debris with the remains really shows how much of a mess his house was. I'm about to call Dr. Michael Doberson. He's a retired medical examiner. He knows his stuff. Uh, this guy will be able to help me kind of interpret what this autopsy report says. Sorry, that's the alarm to call him. There's a bunch of medical terms in here I cannot pronounce, and I don't know what they mean. <laughs> I am definitely not a doctor. I know for a little bit of first aid, though. I could put on a Band-Aid. All right, Dr. Michael Doberson. Hello. Hi, uh, Dr. Doberson. It's Jeremy with Nine News. Yeah, yeah. Do you have Do you have some time now to chat about this autopsy report? Yeah, this is fine. Okay, great. The reason we're looking at this particular gentleman is because he was declared missing in February of 2017, and then eventually his body was found inside his own living room almost exactly one year to the day he was declared missing. What we got yesterday was the autopsy report, and there's a bunch of words in here that I don't know what they mean. I, I kind of know what they mean by Googling them, but I, I can't pronounce them. So I just I just wanted to get your, your, your take on this autopsy report. I'm assuming you've already looked at it, right? I have, yeah. What's your immediate takeaway from this report, would you say? Well, um, I did my training in Seattle before I came to, uh, to, to the Denver area. And personally, I handled a couple of cases like this during my time in Seattle. And basically, you know, these are, it sounds like he was a hoarder. Yeah. And he probably kept to himself for the most part. Yeah. And uh, who knows when the family kind of discovered that uh, he was missing. But finding someone, it sounds like he was dead at least two years wow. from the time that, um, just from, from looking at the report and the circumstances. And, and that's really not that unusual. I mean, it's certainly not common 
but there are cases where, where people, you know, the more isolated someone is, the less likely someone is to, to discover. And the fact that he's decomposed, everything seems to be reasonable as far as that particular time frame from the time he died until the time he was found. The one thing that I did kind of glean from this is that they, they really did a, a pretty good job. The, the medical examiner's office responded to the scene. They were careful in removing the remains, and a full autopsy was done on the uh, skeletonized remains. And that's, that's basically what you want to do. The less body there is to work with, so to speak, the more careful you have to be, particularly things that uh, point to something suspicious. I would think as decomposed and as far gone these remains were, it would be so hard to even get a close estimation of time of death, a day of death, or even a month of death. Oh, that's that's true. The further out the post-mortem interval or the time since death, the more difficult it is to pinpoint. You believe he's been dead around two years? Yeah, it, at least I could say his the condition of his body is consistent with the time he was reported missing approximately and the time his body was found. Our expert, forensic pathologist Dr. Doberson, is telling us Chuck was dead for about two years. Based on what we heard from Christy the neighbor, she remembers seeing Chuck alive about a year and four months before his remains were finally found. If Chuck died right after he was seen by Christy, that fits within the two-year estimate here. There's some terms in here, um, anthropo I'm probably totally saying that wrong. What is that? What does that exactly mean? Uh, that literally means that his body was eaten by, it looks like, insect activity. Uh -huh. Not only does the decomposition process go on, and that's basically a bacterial phenomenon, but um, the insects, I don't know, maybe there was some small animal scavenging too. But basically it means that something was was eating his body. In your history and your in your in your career and you, you dealing with these kind of cases and, and hoarding homes, this is probably something that you don't find surprising then. No, not at all. How do you pronounce that word? Yeah, I think the way you pronounced it was pretty good. Anthropophagy. Yeah. Yeah, anthropophagy. We don't really use it that much, but that's probably the best. Any, any other takeaways that you have in this report? Uh, the only other thing that I would be concerned about, apparently there was some kind of a motor vehicle accident that he was yeah. involved in. Yeah, he had like some sort of fracture on his arm, right? Yeah, and it looks like he did go to the emergency room and they really didn't find anything life-threatening or, or particularly serious when they examined him. They, they did, uh, he did have some swelling of his lymph nodes in his neck and uh, upper chest, and he had a urinary tract infection. That seems to be what they treated him for. So that was going to be my next question for you. It said, you know, an eye on the first page, item number three, possible remote left humeral fracture. We're wondering if that came from that, that bike accident he got into. I think so, yeah. That does mean there is some, some degree of healing that they noted. And so he, he didn't die right away after the accident. It was some time after, months or even a year after he had the accident. I would imagine a case like this poses a challenge to medical examiners because, because of the conditions of the remains. 
Yeah, it definitely does. What did you think about the examiner's opinion on the second page? The conclusion that the manner of death remains undetermined. I know Meredith, and she actually trained in my office for a while. And I know she's very good, and she's very detailed, and she does a really good job. And I think uh, just reading through this, I, I pretty much agreed with all of her conclusions. What we find interesting here is that uh, the family tells us when they first declared him missing in February of 2017, they said that they went inside the house and actually went into the living room where he was eventually found, but they didn't see any remains there when they went in there. We're wondering like just the circumstances of how that happened. Like if they didn't see him and then police found him, we're just wondering what's going on there. Or, or more likely than that, they didn't even smell him. I mean, obviously this body is not gonna smell too great. However, in Denver, uh, a lot of times what happens when bodies decompose is that they tend to mummify somewhat, and that doesn't really carry a terrible smell to it. I'm not sure what he looked like when he was alive, but I suspect he was kind of a thin, you know, sort of looking guy. He wasn't really obese. His, his missing persons poster and his description had him about, I think he was about six tall, a little bit maybe taller, very thin, only 170 pounds. So yeah. I, I would take that as a relatively thin person. Yeah, and, mm. and those people have a greater tendency to mummify, particularly in our in our climate here. You know, it's very dry. It's not really the desert, but it's kind of in that direction. So, so the body tends to desiccate, to dry and to kind of become very leathery and not really the bloating decomposition that we see in some individuals. It's possible when his family went inside the home and even stepped around because you know, from what we understand, the interior of his home was pretty bad with trash, with a lot of debris. It's possible that maybe they, the, the, the body here, the remains here were mixed in with the debris that they just couldn't see it and smell it. I think that's probably the best explanation. If you go into one of these houses, and I've done a number of times, there is stuff everywhere. And you don't particularly want to go digging around. There's usually, you know, dried food and, and stuff everywhere. And so I would suspect that they didn't do a very, very detailed search. They probably went in there, looked around there. I, I, I probably wouldn't want, to, wouldn't want to spend too much time in a house like that either. Uh, I agree, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that probably is the best explanation. I think so. I, I think it's because he probably mummified to some degree. I mean, there there is an unpleasant smell associated with that, but that's not as strong as someone who's undergoing the classic decomposition that we all think of. After this conversation with Dr. Doberson, I emailed him back and asked him how quickly someone can mummify in Denver. I know that's a crazy question. The reason we want to know is this. If Christy, the neighbor, saw Chuck alive four months before his family entered the home to look for him, is that four-month time period enough for remains to mummify and not smell bad? Doberson wrote me back saying, yes, it is possible for a body to mummify in four months in Denver's climate. It would be a certainly different circumstance if we were like at sea level in Florida in a much more humid environment. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Mike, I sincerely appreciate your time taking the time uh, out of your time uh, to look at the autopsy and to spend uh, time with us today. Yeah. Sure, anytime. Take care, Mike. Okay. We'll see you, man. Bye-bye.
I think what was interesting out of this is the smell. He really kind of put out there why there was not a bad smell emanating from the house. And then number two, the body was mummified. He thinks he was dead for around two years. So it's possible by the time they went inside the house, he could have been completely mummified, blended in with the junk, and they just were maybe walking around him. Maybe the junk was on top of him. They didn't see him. He could have really been in there the whole time. One of the sons told us they believed he was coming and going. But in the very end, in the very end, no matter what, he was forgotten about and he was left in there for at least a year, at least a year. Okay, there is that. We know you have so many questions at this point. We do too. We put together a two-part television investigation about how the city handled Chuck's case. Some of the answers to those questions you have are in those two stories, which you can watch right now on 9news.com slash blame. Other questions we keep hearing about are, what did the family do? It took some convincing, but after talking with them, they agreed to sit down with me and reveal what happened. What did they first do when they heard their dad was missing? And why were they estranged? Did they ever know their dad was a severe hoarder? Did they ever try to help him? They answer those questions and so many more in our next episode. As we continue to explore Chuck's story, we hope you stick with us. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you'll get alerts as we drop more episodes. Thanks for listening to Blaine, Lost at Home.